as we continue to consider the fifth commandment and its implications in our lives. Our scripture reading this morning is going to be from Deuteronomy chapter 4 verses 9 through 14. Let us first turn to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his holy and errant infallible word. Let us pray together. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Christ so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work in us. For we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. From Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 through 14, hear the word of the Lord, it is written. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Last week we looked at the implications of the fifth commandment on what I considered to be a neglected aspect of it, how the fifth commandment applies to honoring our parents into adulthood, into our adulthood, and throughout the course of our entire lives. And this morning, I want to consider the implications of the fifth commandment on another aspect of this commandment, which has also probably not received proper attention. And that is how the fifth commandment applies to grandparenting. More than one of you, realizing the absence of resources, have suggested to us that we have some sort of workshop on this topic. You are hungry for a community discussion on what the Bible says about being a grandparent. And the Bible does indeed have something to say about the God-given role of being a grandparent. And perhaps our consideration of this topic this morning will turn into a larger discussion that we can have as a covenant community. Before we get to grandparenting, though, I think we need to address two very important matters. First and foremost, what if you are not a grandparent or even a parent? 
Well, please do not stop listening to the sermon at this point because it is going to apply to you. I want to encourage you to hear God's word to you on this topic in a broader sense. You might not have children or grandchildren yourself, but you are members of Christ's household. And therefore, you can and should serve as spiritual parents and grandparents within the church. Paul, in writing to Titus, gives instruction to the church and urges older men to live in a way as to serve as an example to those in the church community. And likewise, to the older women whom he instructs, teach what is good. And so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husband, that the word of God may not be reviled. He tells them, in other words, men, young, mentor younger men and boys, women, mentor younger women and girls. This coming Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., Women will gather in the fireside room to obey the word of God in this way. And I am especially grateful to you women who have taken seriously this calling of mentoring younger women in the church. There are some of you, and you know who you are, who have mothered my wife. You have been a tremendous spiritual blessing not only to my wife, but also to me and to my children. And there are some of you in this church, and you know who you are, who have grandparented my children. You have taught them Sunday school and nurtured them spiritually. You have come and gotten them and taken them on fun outings. You have cared for them when Elizabeth and I have had to take care of other responsibilities. And I am eternally grateful to you for the love and devotion you have shown to my children. And it isn't as though my wife and I don't have parents who are very present and active in our lives, which means that it isn't as if my children don't have grandparents who are very present and active in their lives. But here is the truth. Here is what Scripture calls us to. We are called as a church to take active roles in each other's lives, living as a family together. Therefore, the younger generation should seek out those in the church who will parent and grandparent them spiritually. And likewise, the older generation should serve as spiritual parents and grandparents for those younger. So the sermon is for all of you this morning. Second, before we get to what Scripture says about the role of grandparents, we need to consider how the role of parents changes once their children have moved into adulthood. If you have grandchildren, then more than likely your children are now adults. And just as the Apostle Paul follows his instruction to children in Ephesians 6 with instructions to fathers, which Pastor John covered two Sundays ago, there's not only a need to consider the implications on adult children to continue to honor their parents, but also the need to consider how parents are to relate to their adult children. So parents, too, must recognize that the relationship with their children changes as their children grow into adulthood. And you will not be able to fulfill your role as a grandparent if you are not fulfilling your role as a parent with adult children. 
The Bible makes clear that when we are children, we think and act as children. And when we become adults, our childish ways should give way to thinking and acting as adults. The parent's job is to help a child transition from childhood into adulthood, to move from dependence to independence. And this includes helping them to develop a biblical worldview, helping them to make good decisions and to know the consequences of their decision-making and to have personal responsibility and accountability. Obviously, we want our children to grow up to be mature Christian adults who are well-balanced and equipped to handle life in a challenging and fallen world. By the time your child becomes an adult, then you, as a parent, should not be still waking him or her up in the morning and instructing him or her to go to work. Obviously, there would be an exception to this for parents who have a child with special needs. But in general, by the time your child reaches adulthood, he or she should be making those basic everyday decisions for himself or herself. We train up our children to assume responsibility for their own lives because the fact is one day they will have to stand alone before their creator and give an account for the life they have lived. Therefore, it's not the parent's job to control their children's lives once they have moved into adulthood. And parents who fail to recognize this are not only at risk of dishonoring their adult children by being overbearing and domineering, but actually are harming their children by not encouraging and allowing them to be personally responsible adults. Spiritually speaking, our children, as they grow up, need to move from obeying us and submitting to our jurisdiction as representatives of God's authority to submitting themselves directly to God as his children. And so as children, we need to be told what to do. And parents should not be slack in their responsibility to set standards in their household about what is expected and to hold their children to these standards. Our passage from Deuteronomy 4 this morning makes it very clear that it is a parent's responsibility to teach their children God's standards, his law. We'll examine this more in more detail in a moment, but for now, perhaps an example will suffice. So at my house, coming together with Christ's body, the church, on the Lord's day for worship and fellowship is expected. And not only because I serve as a pastor, but because we have an understanding that God calls us to honor the Sabbath by gathering around his word and worshiping him with his church. And my God-given responsibility as a parent is to ensure to the best of my ability that my children obey this. Therefore, as long as my children are dependent children in my household, they will be here even if I have to drag them kicking and screaming And hopefully this will never be the case. Regardless, we are to take seriously that the Bible tells us to train up our children in the way that they should go. And once our children become adults, though, the time for training in this regard is past. So parents, we really only have a very brief window to do this work of training up our children. And then the parent's role moves from dictator, so to speak, to advisor. And at this point, 
I pray that I've made the most of my time with my children and that God, by his grace, has been at work in and through, but also over and above my work as a parent to draw my children to himself and to change their hearts to love him and to worship him and to obey him. When my children become adults, there is no more standing on my faith or Elizabeth's faith. Rather, they'll have to claim faith in Jesus Christ as their own and make a personal decision about following him as Lord and Savior. I can no longer then force them to outwardly have faithful lives, although I hope and pray that they will value these aspects of their discipleship because I not only modeled it well for them, but because I instilled in them this important aspect of their lives. Bottom line, at the point that they become adults, I can offer biblical wisdom to them, but they will be free to accept or reject it. And this is even more the case when adult, an adult child enters into the covenant of marriage. Now, one thing I always do when I'm going through premarital counseling with a couple preparing them to take lifelong vows to one another is to discuss the biblical principle of what we call leaving and cleaving. After God institutes the first marriage in Genesis 2, verse 24 states, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And Jesus repeats this verse in Mark 10, and he adds, So you are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. As I mentioned last Sunday, when man and woman come together in marriage to form a one flesh union, their relationships with their parents are forever changed. The preeminent relationship becomes with their spouse. It is their spouse who is their helpmate. It is their spouse to whom they look primarily for advice and counsel. It's their spouse who primarily directs them to the gospel. It is their spouse who becomes the primary object of affection and service and caring and attention. Therefore, I encourage engaged couples to think about what this is going to look like for them to establish and maintain their marriage first and foremost in their lives. It might mean creating new traditions as a new family. It certainly means setting appropriate boundaries as a couple with their parents. Now, this doesn't mean that these individuals are no longer obligated to obey the fifth commandment, as I stated last Sunday. They are still to honor their parents, but now in a different way. But parents can either undermine this covenant relationship their child has entered into, or they can serve to strengthen it. The issue is that we don't usually have a premarital counseling session with the parents of the bride and the groom to talk to them about what their child's marriage means for their relationship with their son or daughter. So parents, you must be able to recognize and respect the boundaries of your adult children. Again, Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That is a word of warning that applies to parents of the bride and groom also. So what does this mean for you? It means that you should be exceedingly careful not to interfere with your adult child's marriage in a way that undermines it or tears it down. 
Now, we could have a whole seminar on this topic, but let me just mention a few things that might be helpful to think about as a parent with married children. You must be sensitive not to be presumptuous, overbearing, or manipulative of your married child. You must be careful not to demand their attention. You also do not want to create a situation in which your married child is dependent on you in any way. Therefore, just as you would do with a single adult child, you also have to be very, very careful with how you offer your assistance, both in terms of counsel and financial support. In order that you don't create dependency in your relationship with your married child, no matter how good it feels to be needed by them. You also do not want to create a situation in which you position yourself between your child and his or her spouse. And this means, for instance, that you should never put your child in a situation where they have to decide between you and their spouse. And this includes exercising caution not to criticize your child's spouse to him or her. Even if your child comes to you complaining about his or her spouse, resist the temptation to enter into that conversation and advise him or her to communicate directly with his or her spouse those feelings of displeasure or need. Now, this does not mean that you are not to be there for your married children, to love them and to support them. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be there to offer advice should they come seeking it. Although it would be good to ensure that your child has sought the counsel of his or her spouse first. It doesn't mean that you should distance yourself from their lives. It simply means that you should be very careful to make the transition with them into mature adulthood. And your role as a parent should look more like a trusted and valued peer. And I pray that many of you with adult children have experienced the blessing of this transition in your relationship with your children, where you have seen the fruit, fruit of your labors and your children have become wonderful, mature Christian adults with whom you can enjoy a relationship of love and care and concern and mutual encouragement. And if the Lord wills and your children bear you grandchildren, then the big question is, what is your role then? And unfortunately, our culture does not necessarily offer a very biblical, healthy view of the role of grandparents. Grandparents are often seen as the ones who are supposed to spoil grandchildren rotten showering them with lots of gifts. They are the ones who are portrayed as the fun parents, right? The ones who let the children do what their parents so often don't let them do, eat sweets, watch a lot of television, stay up well past their bedtime, and so forth. And it's easy to buy into this, into this thinking that this is what grandparenting is, isn't it? Because grandparents cherish their grandchildren. They're smitten with them. You all know this. This is why you love to show off pictures of your grandchildren. And grandparents delight in their grandchildren, and they, they want their grandchildren to delight in them as well. And grandparents want their time with their grandchildren to be special. And it's easy to buy into this thinking then that this is how the time is made special because the children get to do all of these things they ordinarily don't get to do. And when the grandparents show up, it means that new toys and gadgets and cash gifts are coming. And grandparents are so pleased 
to be able to do these things. And perhaps grandparents even have the financial resources available that they did not have available when they were raising their own children and can now get their grandchildren things that they could not provide for their own children. But the big but question is, is this really consistent with a biblical view of grandparenting? And this is where I think really pushing into this passage from Deuteronomy 4 will help us answer that question. Moses, on the brink of Israel entering into the promised land, is here directing Israel's attention to God's word to them, especially God's word given to them at Mount Horeb, which is just another name for Mount Sinai. He's instructing two things at the beginning of this exhortation, which marks the beginning of the legal section of Deuteronomy. First, he's instructing faithful obedience to God's law. He's telling them to not only listen to God's statutes and rules, but to do them. And if you go back to verse 6, you will see him saying to Israel, keep them and do them, that is God's law, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In other words, keeping God's law will not only reveal their reverence and awe and love for God and reveal them to be his people, but it will be a public witness before the nations of the character of God and his righteousness. And then the second thing that Moses is instructing Israel to do is to teach these things to the future generations. Not only was this generation supposed to hear and obey, remembering in gratitude all that God had done for them, how they were delivered out of bondage and slavery, made to be God's people, but they were charged with the obligation to imbue the minds of the future generations with reverence and fear and awe and gratitude and obedience toward God. Make them known, Moses instructed, to your children, and who else? To your children's children. And then Moses goes on, recalling the Lord's instruction to him at Mount Horeb, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. In just a couple of chapters, in the great sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, we find what we call the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. But before the Shema is given, Moses says this, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. As we read these passages, we get this biblical precedent for the role of parents, but also for grandparents, for the future generations. 
It is a primary responsibility of the parents to raise their children in the faith. But grandparents in the Lord, don't miss that you are included here too. God's word to you is to also do your part with the future generations to make known the mighty deeds of God in the ways in which he has revealed himself to his people. Teach the future generations these things. Teach them to fear God, to have a deep and abiding reverence in all before the Lord. Teach them to obey God, especially here in Deuteronomy. Teach them to obey the commandments. We find here then a much richer, fuller, meaningful purpose that grandparents have in the lives of their grandchildren. Having the blessing of grandchildren comes with the mighty responsibility of sharing your faith in Jesus Christ with them. And scripture gives witness to grandparents doing this well. The apostle Paul mentions in 2 Timothy that he is reminded of Timothy's sincere faith which is a faith that dwelt first in his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. In Timothy, we find a faith that has been passed through the generations. And it's not only his mother that had great influence on Timothy's faith, but it is his grandmother as well. And so we're reminded that it is important to be intentional about how we love and shepherd those entrusted to our care. In other words, if we have grandchildren, it's important to be very careful about not living into the world's view of what a grandparent's role is, which means ensuring that your affection for your grandchildren is not getting in the way of your calling of Christian grandparenting and your grandchild's spiritual growth. This should be your primary concern. Proverbs 13, 22 states, a man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But as you can imagine, this proverb is not simply speaking of an inheritance of material wealth. Far more important is the spiritual inheritance we leave our children and our grandchildren. Remember that Peter tells us that saving faith in Jesus Christ is more precious than gold. And so when we can identify Scripture's primary calling for grandparents as those who leave a legacy, an inheritance of faith and obedience, we can begin to identify helpful as well as harmful actions. For instance, it probably isn't a good idea to allow your, grand, your grandchildren to do things that their parents don't ordinarily let them do without actually asking your grandchildren's parents first. If you are not only allowing but encouraging them to disobey their parents' instruction, then you are guilty of encouraging them to dishonor their parents, a violation of the fifth commandment. And in doing so, you're also dishonoring your children. And if the inheritance you are most concerned with leaving your grandchildren is spiritual in nature, then you must be careful about how you spoil your grandchildren. I encourage you to consider how you might constructively spoil them. I want to suggest that always giving them material gifts and money might not be helpful for them at all, but harmful. Not that it's a bad thing to give them things. So allow me to share four suggestions for ways that you can avoid avoid spoiling them rotten and instead spoil them into righteousness. 
So here are the four things. First, spoil them with the gift of your time. Spoil them with the gift of your time. Make yourself available to them. One of the greatest gifts that they can get from you is, well, you. Especially if you're fully present with them when you're with them and are sharing with them the absolute greatest gift, the gift of faith in Jesus Christ. Let them come into your lives. Share stories with them about what it was like growing up. Tell them about the hardships you faced and how you overcame those hardships. Tell them about your greatest joys and what you have been most grateful for in your life. Tell them about how you messed up and what lessons you learned from your mistakes. Share your testimony with them. Tell them about how you've seen God at work in your life. Tell them about how in Jesus we have one who lived in perfect righteousness because we can't and who offered up his life for us as an atonement for sin that we might have peace with God. Read scripture to them often. Model for them a life of faithful obedience. Second, spoil them with the gift of character-building activities. Spoil them with the gift of character-building activities. Find ways to help your grandchildren build character. Ask them to help you around the house or in the community. It might just be that they respond even better to you than they do to their own parents. If I ask my child to cook with me, they might look at it as a chore. If my mother asks my child to cook with her, it becomes a treat. Take advantage of this influence that you have over your grandchildren. And if you serve in the community at, say, Desire Street Shelter or CCM, for instance, invite them to join with you in this service if they're old enough to do so. Instill in them a sense of service and self-sacrifice. Teach them new skills. Teach them the art of sewing or knitting or cooking or woodworking or painting. Invite them to change the car oil with you. Show them how everything can be done unto the Lord. Third, Spoil them with the gift of prayer. Pray for them. Pray for their conversion in Christ, that God would claim them as his own. Pray with them. Our children need to know the power of prayer. They need to know that they have loved ones praying for them, asking God to help them to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, asking God to empower them by the power of his Holy Spirit to follow him, asking God to give them wisdom in their decision-making, asking God to protect them from the attacks of the evil one. Fourth, and closely related to spoiling grandchildren with prayer, spoil them with the gift of blessing. We see in Scripture the wonderful act of people blessing each other, especially parents blessing their children, but we also find grandparents blessing their grandchildren. In Genesis 48, for example, we find Jacob right before his death blessing Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. We have all these blessings given to us in Scripture, all these places where God gives us his word that we can use to call upon his blessing for the benefit of someone else. It's a powerful thing to speak God's favor and power into someone else's life. And you, as a grandparent, can serve as a channel for God's blessing to your grandchildren. And this is following in Jesus' example, who called children to himself 
And what did he do? He blessed them. Remember that you, as those in Christ, are members of the priesthood of all believers. If you need help finding blessings in Scripture, Pastor John or I would be happy to help you find some. But you can begin with the ironic blessing in Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26. Next time you're rocking your grandchild to sleep or putting your grandchild in bed, lay your hand on them and say over them, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So spoil your grandchildren with the gift of your presence by helping them to build character with prayer and with blessing. And I pray that the Lord would use you all by his grace as blessings for the future generations that they might grow up to love God and follow him all the days of their lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are a God who loves us, who is faithful to us from generation to generation. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to you as your covenant people in teaching our children and our children's children to love you and to obey you all the days of their lives. Lord, that your gospel might go forth and be proclaimed starting first in our households. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand together and affirm what we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sit on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness